Amen. See, being seated is optional. <laughs> we really love having this chance to celebrate. Thank you. Wouldn't you agree? Thank you, Fine Arts team and musicians, for a beautiful uh, celebration here today. Um, over in the fellowship hall, thank you, Jim Williams and Garrett and Jerry and all of you who are taking care of worship in there. I told a couple of people on the way in today, I said, it's going to get rowdy in here. We've got the drums, we've got multiple guitars and five vocalists. The volume's going to be up in here. And if you prefer my dear friend Jim with his soothing voice and that beautiful guitar, Jim, thank you for leading uh, over here. Um, what a celebration. And it's so well-deserved. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24, and let's reread this foundation of our faith. You have to know, as we left our Good Friday service, which was very moving to me, as we left our Good Friday service just a couple of days ago, Christ had suffered for our sin. And we took time to appreciate and, and to reflect on how important it is for us to receive that gift of his forgiveness purchased for us on the cross. But we all know that the resurrection is next. I had my mailman, who knows I'm a pastor, shout from across the street on Friday. He saw me working in my yard, and he said, Pastor Ken, it's Friday. <laughs> but Sunday's coming. <laughs> I love that. I shouted right back at him. Sunday's coming. We know that the cross is not the end. We know that Jesus Christ has won a victory. I, I watched an incredible finish to a basketball game last night. I don't know how many of you are college basketball fans. My father-in-law uh, got a degree from Gonzaga and they live 45 minutes from the university, and, and he is nuts about the Bulldogs. And if you don't know, they are undefeated. Uh, it's remarkable. No team has done this since 1976. The classic movie, The Hoosiers, was made after this team. Uh, they are chasing glory. And so you can't help but get drawn in to a little bit of that March Madness in April. And as I was watching that, toward the end, it went into overtime. <laughs> And if you didn't see it, it was incredible. It was a buzzer beater shot from just a few feet away from half court. Won the game. Gonzaga still undefeated. Uh, going to the finals on Monday. And I was, I, I mean, I, I feel a little bit badly at how I shocked my dear wife sitting next to me by my reaction. It was a sudden jolt of volume in the room and clapping and, and jumping. And, 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 and how is that? See, is that Gonzaga right there? Oh, is UCLA. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and no offense to all of the um, wonderful UCLA fans because that is the closest game they've played, <laughs> beyond a doubt. Yeah, except my condolences, Bill, <laughs> to our dear UCLA fans. Oh, I know. I, I thought they were done. But then the good guys won. No, I just... <laughs> That's not how we see it. It's sports. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. And I thought to myself, why do I get so excited about a sports thing? Have you ever been there? You just, after the fact, you wonder, 
why do I get so nervous and so disappointed when they lose and so excited uh, when they lose? Because I'm not a basketball athlete. If you think about it, though, I, I just thought about this yesterday. I still have four years of NCAA eligibility to play basketball. <laughs> I haven't used any of my years, so, you know, if somebody comes knocking, we might have to negotiate and talk and see where we might go. I'm not an athlete. I'm not going to put on those court shoes, and I don't know personally any of those people. It's just who I've kind of aligned my heart with. And so their victory, boy, they went crazy. They went crazy. This was a dramatic game. They just, and they should. I mean, they've worked all their lives uh, to get to this point, and it's an amazing thing. And it's a victory for them, and it's a victory for all their fans also. As we think about Jesus being left on Good Friday and the discovery that Christ is risen and, and this news that, that is so incredible that when it's reported to them, they don't actually believe it, that they need to go investigate it for themselves. I want us to understand that this isn't just a victory for Jesus. It's a victory for us. And the difference between Resurrection Day and our discovery of Christ risen from the dead, it, it, it's, it's worlds apart because while you and I may never face the pressure of a half-court shot to win a game, we will face our enemies of Satan, of sin, and of death. And Jesus' victory becomes our victory. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I'm reading from Luke chapter 24. And I'm inviting you to celebrate this news. The reason we gather on Sunday mornings, if you don't know, traditionally Shabbat, Sabbath is Saturday, is because on the first day of the week, because Christ was found risen on the first day of the week. Did you know that? That's why we do that every week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, of course, expecting to find Jesus' dead body. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe these women because their words seemed to them like nonsense big lesson there for guys, just so we understand. It's really clear about that, okay? Peter, however, this is such an interesting statement. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. John Ortberg, a very well-known author and pastor, 
writes about a story of a friend of his. He writes, a friend of mine used to work in a denominational office in Minnesota. One of his jobs was to travel to little rural communities where they didn't have churches to do funerals. So he would go with the undertaker and they would drive together uh, in the undertaker's hearse. One time they were on their way back from a funeral and my friend John was feeling quite tired. He decided he would take a nap. Now you see this coming, right? Since they were in a hearse, he thought, well, I'll just lie down in the back of the hearse. Sounds like a creepy thing to do, Ortberg writes, but this is a true story. The guy who was driving the hearse pulled into a service station because he was running low on gas. The service station attendant was filling up the tank, and he was kind of freaked out because he could see that there was a body stretched out in the back. While he was filling the tank, of course, John woke up, opened his eyes, knocked on the window, and waved at the attendant. And John said he never saw anybody run so fast in his whole life. When people see life where they're expecting death, they run. And here's Peter. Could this be true? For in that culture, in that day and age, a Jewish man to run was undignified, something that they didn't do. And there's this interesting scene, not only of running against all dignity, because he has to know if this is true, but he's running through a graveyard. And you wouldn't expect someone to run through a graveyard. He, again, as a first century Jewish believer, he's running to a place of uncleanness to discover the best news that's ever been reported in all the planet. He's not here. This picture of running. I want us to take our cue from this verse in verse 12 that describes this one who has heard this news but needs to know this news personally. He, he needs to discover this news for himself. And so he does whatever is necessary. In fact, he runs to a tomb. We don't like to talk about death. It's difficult. It's so interesting that Elvin approached us this morning and said, I have to share something. Thank you, Elvin. Because you've done what's so countercultural. We have a hard time talking about death. We prefer to say someone passed away to sort of soften this issue of death. It's hard for us to face into it's hard for us to run to a tomb. But Easter calls us to do that. Easter calls us to look our worst enemy that we will ever face square in the face. Why do we fear death? I want to invite you to jot a couple of things down and ask if you think this is accurate. Well, one, death is a great unknown. We haven't been there ourselves. Do you have any friends or relatives that have been raised from the dead that you can talk to? Now, I'm not discounting some really interesting books about heaven is for real. And I, I love that book. But for the most part, it's not part of our resume, right? And the truth is, we fear anything that we've never experienced before, even if it wasn't all that scary anyway. You know that's true? I remember 
being terrified of having the training wheels taken off of my bike. <laughs> Why? Because I'd never done it before. I remember being terrified driving, and that's a different story. <laughs> my best friend in high school was raised on a farm. He was driving since he could reach the pedals. And then they put me in in traffic, assuming that I could drive as well as him. You remember the old partner system with your uh, driver's ed? Right away, he said, Mr. Redford, have you ever driven before? No. <laughs> I was terrified of it. Now it's not a scary thing. Why? Because of experience. Death is inevitable. No argument there. They did some research in the state of Idaho, and they discovered that the mortality rate in the state of Idaho is 100%. It's inevitable. And as you think about, as I'm inviting you to think about running to a tomb, what about running to the thing that scares you? Not, not just death, but, but all of those parts of our life that we dread. Our enemy, our, our fear, our pain. And death is isolating. And, and so are any other problems in our lives. What's interesting is when we're going through our hardest times, there's something in our human nature that causes us to want to separate from others. Isn't that interesting? I, I don't want anybody giving me pity or, or whatever. And so, so we tend to shut down emotionally and, and block others out. And that's exactly the opposite of what we need to be doing. God has provided people in your life to love you. For, for you to share your burden with and, and, and to let Jesus minister through those other people. And, but, but it's just human nature, isn't it? You know, death is isolating. Even as we know and believe that the spirit lives beyond, our soul lives beyond our physical bios, our body, even though we know that, we're separated from someone we love for a time. And so death in its very nature is an isolating kind of a thing. Why is this all important? Actually, this is important. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, describing Jesus that he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in the slavery by their fear of death. Do you know that whatever you're afraid of controls you? Jesus, who came into this planet, came to defeat the thing that might otherwise steal the life that God longs to have with you. What are you afraid of? I love this verse in Hebrews 2.10, which is a beautiful description of salvation, the book of Hebrews, and, and really understanding it through Jewish eyes, through Jesus' own background. It was fitting that God, for whom all, uh, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, that's Jesus, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. We know that Jesus suffered through us. But I just noticed that one word. It just stands out to me in this description of Jesus, that Jesus was a pioneer of our salvation. You ever thought of it, Jesus that way? In other words, the pioneer goes first, right? So the pioneer went ahead of us. We, we sometimes, when we think about Jesus Christ, Emmanuel at Easter, God with us, he took on flesh, he bore our sorrows and infirmities, and, and we think about those things, that he was tempted in every way as we are, and so he gets it. He gets what it feels like 
to be a teenager. You know, I'm convinced that grown adults forget what it's like to be a teenager. They tell you life is going to get harder. And, and just know, you get brain damage when you're an adult. You forget how hard it was. I just want you to know that. Sometimes we tell parents with little ones, oh, just wait, it gets worse when they're teenagers. And I, Don't tell them that. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not true. What they're going through is real pain. <laughs> and we just forget because we're not going through it at the time. Jesus knows what it is to be human. And as you approach Jesus in the words of Hebrews, your great high priest, you have someone who sympathizes with you, who knows what it feels like to be rejected, who knows what it feels like to be uh, let down by people he loved. Jesus understands even the chemicals of emotions that go on in the human body. Jesus understands grief. Jesus wept over Mary and Martha's weeping and his friend Lazarus. Yeah. He's the pioneer. But sometimes when we talk about Jesus as the pioneer and empathizing with humanity, we forget one important thing. Do we also remember that Jesus died as a pioneer in the process of our salvation? I've mentioned to people sitting with them as they're passing. Jesus Christ will never leave you. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No sickness, no nakedness, no, no anything, the scripture says. Not even death. Why? Because Jesus is the pioneer that, that went ahead of you. This great unknown, this inevitable thing, this thing that causes us to feel very isolated and alone. You're never alone. He walked through the veil already. And he promises to walk with you in this experience as a pioneer and as a guide. Can Jesus calm our fear? I want to invite you on Easter Sunday to look at Jesus' resume, if you will, against death. One, Jesus raised others from death. So earlier in this service, I read from John chapter 11, where Jesus spoiled a funeral. There was weeping, and all of a sudden there was dancing <laughs> because he raised his friend Lazarus from the grave. And if you remember all the details of that story, Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus suddenly was alive, and they took the grave cloths off of him. And they were afraid of the stench because he'd, he'd been gone a few days. <laughs> and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And some have speculated the reason he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, if he didn't say Lazarus, the whole grave would have got up. <laughs> His power over death. And he proves it pre-resurrection day. Now, he's in Bethany at that point, if you know that. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The final time, John records he went to Jerusalem at least three times. He, in his final time before, he's executed on the cross. He's, he's just a few miles away. So this is very close, actually. And some think that the whole reason there were so many people crowding in at Palm Sunday saying Hosanna and making this big fuss that ends up in his execution, they don't like the attention he's getting. Some say it's because he raised Lazarus from Bethany and everybody knows it and they start following him into Jerusalem. 
and there's a big fanfare for Jesus. This must be the Messiah because he has power over death. This is on his resume. Whatever Jesus has to say about death, that's impressive. He raised someone from death. But not only that, he himself is risen from his own grave. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually different than what happened with Lazarus. You might think of Lazarus more, he's definitely resurrected from the dead, but in a temporary sense. Have you ever thought about this poor guy? He had to die again. I've heard people speculate about Lazarus, how rude it must have felt to him to be taken from the presence of God and to go back into earth. And actually, John says why that happened. It isn't because of the empathy of the the mourners. You might expect that. No, that isn't why. It says in John, it says that it's a sign so that other people might believe. He's, He's showing you who he is, finally. The time has come for him to go to the cross, and he's demonstrating who he really is. You know, we've been looking for the last several weeks at the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John, but did you know there aren't seven I am statements? There are actually eight of them. And John happens to record it as well. It's in the book of Revelation. And it's right there, Revelation 1, 17 to 18. Jesus said, the resurrected Christ, to John the apostle, he said, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am. That's the final I am. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's before all things and he's after all things. When Jesus Christ is risen, he's risen imperishable in flesh. You remember? He eats with the disciples after he visits them on the shores of Galilee. He eats with them. He can eat. And yet, he walks through walls. So a week later, he shows up to Thomas and he just walks through the wall. This is a different kind of physical reality. Paul refers to it as a heavenly body. Fascinating study, isn't it? So much mystery there. Why? Because we haven't seen it. Haven't been there yet. Oh, but, but Jesus would ask you, standing in front of you before he raises your brother from the dead, he'd say, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? We haven't seen it yet. You know, there are no credible historians at all, who deny that Jesus Christ existed or who deny that Jesus Christ died or who deny that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Zero credible historians refute that. Did you know that? Check me out on that. Google it if you want to. Wikipedia certainly isn't wrong. (laughs) Because there are rules of historicity. What makes something a historical fact? Because you and I weren't there. Bigger story, read the case for Christ. Pretty interesting stuff. But this is on Jesus' resume. He himself is risen from his own grave. What's the significance of this? Paul says it means everything. Because if there's no resurrection, you and I believe in vain. Everything that we've done is in vain. I've devoted my entire life, my energy, my time, my passion, my focus on this one truth that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive today. 
He desires to walk in our hearts and in our lives in a real way. Paul says it all hinges on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is a pretty fascinating chapter. It talks about over 500 people seeing this resurrected body of Jesus, which later ascends. Like I said, it's a different kind of body, right? Seeing the 500 at a time. How do you explain that if it wasn't real? Do you say that 500 people had a, the same hallucination at the same time? Because that takes more faith to believe than the simple explanation that Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus' resume. He raised others from death. He himself is risen from his own grave. He will be present during our death. John 14, as he's comforting his disciples and giving them his last words, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And then he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, and he's abandoning them, this is their fear thing. They, they don't know what it means to have faith without Jesus walking with them in the flesh yet. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus ushers us into eternity. I think Jesus can calm our fear. Because of all this, Jesus redefines death in some really significant ways. Death becomes a doorway. I want to invite you to think of it that way. Death becomes a doorway. And I know that I am speaking to some folks whose grief is very fresh. There are several of our families here in our congregation. This uh, sign behind me in red says exit. But I just, I just want you to know that that's only from this side of the door, of the doorway. For someone on the other side of the doorway, it's an entrance. And so what we think of as an ending is a beginning. It's a transition. It's a doorway. And Jesus accompanies you through the threshold of this doorway. I can't begin to say what a profound privilege it is to serve as a pastor and to sit with people in this process of waiting and I can tell you, I've waited with people who have incredible fear, and I've waited with people who have incredible faith. I want you to know, because of Easter Sunday, that's all that death is. It's a doorway. And what's on the other side of the doorway is a mystery to us because we haven't seen it. By the way, it's gloriously beautiful in Idaho today, wherever you're watching from. There are great things on the other side of this doorway, including your Easter dinner, so I better keep going. <laughs> Death is temporary. Death is temporary. You know, speaking of temporary death, this past week I read about a guy who was driving in his car and all of a sudden a rabbit jumped out in front of him. He swerved, but you know how it is sometimes, it didn't matter. And so he hit this poor rabbit with a thud and the driver, you know, a sensitive animal lover, he just feels terrible. So, of course, he stops the car, and he gets out, and, oh, no. This isn't just a rabbit. This is the Easter bunny. And, and he sees this poor rabbit laying on the pavement, 
gone. And all his eggs just strewn everywhere. And just then an older woman drives by and, and saw the commotion and decided to park to see if she could be of any help. And she approached the scene. She looked at this crying man and this dead rabbit. And she looked back at the man and back at the rabbit. And she said simply, don't worry. She walked back over to her car and grabbed a spray can and sprayed the rabbit thoroughly everywhere. Just sprayed and sprayed and sprayed and stepped back. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, this rabbit gets up again, collects all of her eggs, and starts bouncing away. Oh, and about 10 feet away, she turns and waves her paw, as if to say thank you. And, and then starts hopping away, and this guy's just in, he's never seen anything like this. In disbelief, 10 feet later, the rabbit turns around again, does the same thing, waves. 10 feet later, does the same thing, waves. And the guy is just astonished. He runs over to the woman and he says, what is in that can? And she turns the can around so that he can read it. And, and he reads the label. Hairspray. Restores life to dead hair. Adds permanent wave. You're welcome. Death is temporary. Life is permanent. Jesus flips everything around. We think of life as temporary and death as permanent, but because of Jesus Christ, death is temporary and life is permanent. Our death is the beginning of our life. What does this mean for us here and now? It means a lot of things. It means that we can be at peace blessing others on this journey. And I just want to stop with you for a minute. If, if you're younger than I am, you might be thinking, you know, I don't like to think about death, and that's okay, and I, I don't blame you. I just want you to know, if you become a pastor, at, at age 51, I've been around a lot of death. And, and in so many ways, I feel like I treasure my life more because I realize what an incredible sacred gift that, that today really is. And I, and I don't feel guilty in that sense because I know that because of my faith, I can bless others on this journey. And that makes, that makes a huge difference. I know many of you are not in person, but it's a, you know, Paula Bowen right there, we just had a funeral. I've got Dave Nelson right there, right lined up with all of them. I am so thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be at peace as we personally prepare for our own journey. Like I said, what you fear controls you. We are, we are not called to live in fear. We are called to live in the victory of Jesus Christ. We can enjoy a new kind of life today. The New Testament has so much to say about this. This is just the beginning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they just start the New Testament. Everything to the right of it is what does the resurrection mean? It's just the beginning. I want to invite you to, to join me next Sunday. I'm going to start preaching on Jesus' declaration of what kingdom life is all about. I'm going to talk about the Beatitudes, but I've renamed them the Reattitudes. 
because I think we all need an attitude adjustment about right now (laughs) to reorient our vision on the kingdom of God away from all the things that would otherwise ensnare us and control us and to focus instead on the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is available for us today. If there's anyone in the sound of my voice who is not following Jesus Christ, or if you have not received the forgiveness that he offers because of what he did on the cross, I just want you to hear, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we're here. We, we celebrate this gift that we've all been given. It's only by grace. I mentioned the Good Friday service. If you want to watch it on Facebook, there's an eight-minute video in that service that just leveled me. It's all by grace. It's not anything I've done or deserved. It's all by grace. Jesus Christ paid the whole price for our sin. It is simply up to us to receive that gift. We can't earn it. Aren't you grateful? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of commitment. This is an opportunity for anyone to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I want to be sure of where I'm going, and I want to live my life following you. Shall we pray? I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able. You know, even as you stand, and this may sound different to you, but it invites you to feel the pressure of the earth under your feet. I know it's a carpet, but there's earth under there. Can you feel it? Upon what are you building your life or standing today? What are you counting on to hold you up? Jesus Christ, be our rock today. Jesus, we have been reviewing today the fact that you loved us so much that you went to a cross to pay for our sin, to purchase our forgiveness and even eternal life that begins now. Lord, with all that I am, I receive this gift that you freely offer me of salvation, of forgiveness, of new life with you. Lord, I admit my need for you. I admit that in my own way, perhaps in many ways, I've chosen to live my life separate of what you want. Lord, I come to you asking forgiveness receiving the gift of grace that you would offer me. Lord, in faith, I want to say yes. You asked Martha, do you believe this? Jesus, I believe. I thank you for the victory that you've won. I pray that you would teach me what it means to walk in step with you as my Lord and my Savior. We love you, Jesus. Amen.